Good morning, and welcome to the Holly and Lily Show right here on Recall Radio Podcast. Today, we have a very, very important uh, message for all of our listeners. We have a group of ladies who are fighting for the medical freedom here in Fresno County, and they are coming in and talking about personal experiences that they've had to endure during this time. Um, you know, it's really important that we we as a human race stick together and as a neighbor to one another, to love one another and to understand and get educated because we are in a battle that we have never experienced before. So we can't encourage you enough to please tune in, listen to the ladies' stories. If you have a similar story um, that you'd like to share with us, we wanna hear from you. We really, we really need to take things into our own hands, unfortunately, um, but we're gonna take it one day at a time. So please tune in. Thank you. Well, today we are so happy to have a group of passionate women that have done some research and they've experienced COVID with their relatives and friends. And they've done an in-depth dive into it because they actually had to go through it. And when you go through something like this, you're going to try to do anything you can to keep people alive and well. It's, um, it's been a learning experience for many of these women, and we're very lucky and blessed to have them because their passion is about educating the rest of this country on a controversial drug or protocol that is happening within these hospitals. And we want other Americans to be safe and understand the things that can happen when you have a loved one or relative or a friend that gets COVID and they are transported to a hospital. So I am going to, my first speaker today is going to be uh, Heidi, who lost a lovely friend of hers, Lupia Espinosa. Heidi, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on and thank you for allowing us to share our truth and for putting a spotlight on the, the genocide that's happening throughout the United States of America. Sure. Would you like to tell us, I know you had a wonderful friend who was a great patriot who um, did some wonderful things. She uh, collected signatures and she has a beautiful son. And I know you were close to her and, and many of us were close to her. And would you like to talk a little <laughs> bit about what happened with, with Lupe Espinosa? Yes. Yes, my, my best friend, Lupe Espinosa, former candidate for Assembly 31, contracted COVID. And on August 4th, she was administered into Clovis Community Hospital. She was administered remdesivir, a drug that is known to kill 54% of the people who are administered this drug. Um, and, um, and I know, I know, this, it, I know it's emotional. I know. Take your time. Go ahead. Yes. So yeah, she was, rem, re, she, she was administered a drug remdesivir, which in a, which in a one year clinical trial was pulled six months in because it killed 54% of the people involved in the study. And yet this is the one drug 
the only drug that's mandated per Fauci in every single hospital across the United States. Everybody who goes in for COVID is given remdesivir. People are dropping like flies. Yeah. This is My, hospital protocol, correct? Yeah. Yes, it's it's okay. hospital protocol. Yes. My my best friend, she was a single mother to a wonderful son, uh, Mateo, 16 years old. Um, he now doesn't have his mother. Um, wow. She left behind a beautiful sister, parents. Um, we we have a whole community that is grieving the the death her death and yes. we, we want we want justice number one we want justice number two we want to inform as many people as possible because every single day a multitude of people are driving into these hospitals and let's just speak locally fresno community hospital saint agnes hospital clovis community hospital for covid they're getting hooked up to remdesivir and most of them are dying she didn't die of covid correct she did not die of COVID. She was COVID free wow. when she died. It took, it took them two months to murder her. And August 4th, she was administered in the hospital. September 28th, she died. And it was a horrible death. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, this is important for people <sighs> because people are, need to hear your stories, all your truth. Because people need to um, have a plan of action in case this happens to them. Um, Is there anything else, Heidi, you would like to add? Um, I I would like to add that, um, that um, just, you know, stay out of the hospitals if you can, because, you know, they'll, they'll give you remdesivir. There's a way to treat COVID at home. Um, And, and that's through um, a drug called ivermectin, right? Right. Um, I, I would, um, I'm not a medical expert. I I just want to say that up front, but, but my free, my, um, truth is protected, um, under the bill of rights and the constitution amendment one freedom of speech. So what my truth is, um, is, um, to get, you know, get on a Z pack, start taking, uh, 10,000 IU of vitamin D three, 3000 MG of the vitamin C 50 milligrams of the um, zinc, one, three milligram ivermectin pills per 16 pounds, um, a a steroid inhaler, tons of lemon juice with warm water. Don't lay down, prop yourself up um, while you're sleeping and stay in a well-ventilated room. Get Get an air purifier if you can, crack a window and get plenty of sunlight. Is there a place that they can go and order this ivermectin? Do you recommend? Yes. Some- yes. Um, you can order it through pushhealth.com. P-U-S-H-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. You can order it there or you could order it through American Frontline Doctors. Um, okay. We can, we can have those links at the end, right, Holly? Yeah, we'll definitely put these links uh, into the episode. And and okay. and, and I want to let you know, there's only, you know, um, most pharmacies will not um, fill 
a right. prescription for ivermectin, even if it's from a doctor, you have to find um, a local mom and pop shop and call yeah. ahead to make sure they can fill it. And then you put the, um, tell, you know, pushhealth.com what pharmacy you would like it filled at. Yeah, okay. I think that's important. Um, it, it, if, if Lupe, upon arrival in the hospital, was given ivermectin instead of remdesivir, and they gave her the oxygen she needed and the, and the steroid that she needed, then my best friend would be here today. Yeah. She's 31 years. She was 31 years of age. Too young. Yeah. No, um, no, young. Lupe. Yeah. Lupe, Lupe was, um, um, 47 years or old, 47 years of age. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, this is all very, um, informational and, um, Boy, I thank you for this, that information. And I was wondering if we could move on to Danette, if she would like to tell us her Excellent. story. Carla, I think. Or Carla, gonna, how about yeah, Carla? Yes, we're going to do Carla next. Okay, go ahead, Carla. Hi, my name is Carla. And um, so my story is um, my family all caught COVID at the beginning of August. Um, my stepfather and my mom went into the hospital, um, August 3rd. Um, we weren't very educated at the time. You just thought this was the right thing to do as they were both struggling with oxygen and fever and stuff. Um, a few days later, stepdad was put on, uh, the ventilator, um, uh, August 15th, he did pass away fungal mold, uh, blood clots started taking over, bleeding from the chest. Mm -hmm. um, mom, mom was released from the hospital um, on August 13th, um, released home with oxygen. They both had remdesivir. Wow. Um, during this time, August 8th, I took my fiance in as he wasn't feeling good and getting worse. Um, they started the remdesivir and they had him on the high flow oxygen and um, so by the 19th, he already had two rounds of the remdesivir, um, wow. or plebus. Yeah. He had two rounds by then. Um, August 19th, I got a phone call early in the morning. He had to be put in ICU. They were going to have to intubate him. So, you know, still not being educated. I'm like, okay, you know, just do what you got to do and help him. So, the days go by. Um, I asked for a meeting with the doctors and, you know, I asked, I'm starting to become more educated on things and what's going on and realizing remdesivir is not what it was supposed to be. And so I requested the ivermectin. Um, I was told, uh, the doctor told me he didn't know what it was, uh, knew nothing about it. Um, wow. and it was against hospital protocol. They could not order something like that. So, um, he was at Kaiser. Um, oh. I asked if he could be moved to Fresno community cause they have an ECMO machine, which would help his lungs. Um, they said they would contact doctors over there and see if, you know, he was a candidate to move. I was called back shortly sometime later and he wasn't a candidate because he had been on the vent for too long and he was, had a BMI of over 35. Uh -huh. So frustrating to hear. Um, around August 31st, um, his kidneys are starting to shut down. Uh -huh. 
so I ask him, so we go on a few days. Um, he was urinating good one day, next day, not at all. And this is when they realized, you know, the kidneys were shutting down. He needed dialysis. I was told he would get it every day until he gets, starts improving. Um, then he wasn't getting it the way they said he was. And um, they, I asked, they said there's a shortage that everybody in the ICU needed the, the dialysis just like him. And, you know, he can't take priority over somebody else. They all needed it. So they had to share it, you know, wow. across everybody. Um, a couple of days went by, still wasn't happy. Um, I spoke to the doctor again and I asked him, what about moving him to Fresno community so you he can get the dialysis he needs? And he's like, well, there's a shortage across the whole Central Valley. We've been trying to look for resources. We can't find any. I'm like, okay, well, um, I work wow. at Fresno Community and I know some people in the ICU and, you know, there's not a shortage of dialysis. Oh, wow. Like, he can get it. Like, yeah. So, he, so his story changed. Well, there's a shortage of beds. We can't move him. Wow. You know, he's an, he's an overweight man and it would be too risky to move him. And, you know, they don't have beds for him anyways, you know? Okay, so I just felt like everything was getting shut down and I didn't want to fight against doctors because I, you know, I didn't want his care to go away right. because I'm fighting against them. And I'm not legally his wife. I didn't feel like if I had the place to do it, you know, without his family. Yeah. Um, so they told me September 4th that, you know, it was, he wasn't going to make it. He had, um, internal bleeding he had an infection oh so i'm i'm freaking out now um but after all the tests came back he had no infection he had no internal bleeding what everything was fine like nothing was going on they couldn't explain why he was bruising on his sides um on both sides and why he was spiking fevers um and he just kept getting worse from that point on. And September 11th, he left behind three stepchildren, stepsons, and two oh, little boys. Sorry, oh. two little boys of his own. And it was just his time to go. Oh my! I'm God. so sorry. I am so sorry. So this this is this is a horrible, tragic story, and I I I'm so sorry. This is. We are so happy to have you here though, because you are helping other people yeah, sharing yeah. this information so that people, what would you say if you, what would you tell a listener to do with a loved one that's going through this right now? I would say do as much as you can at home. You know, the ivermectin, if I would have known, I would have done that. You know, um, we did do the vitamins. We were, you know, we'd get up and sit outside when we were both at home, you know, fighting the COVID, keeping hydrated and stuff. Um, you know, if a loved one has to go into the hospital, you know, refuse the remdesivir. I mean, okay. I feel like that was the ultimate thing that, you know, took him and, you know, shut down his kidneys. And now, did you ever, um, did you, there's, I'm understanding from you guys and I've heard this from other people I spoke a little bit to you guys off off air but there is a these doctors are not <laughs> wanting to take people off from Demosphere is it just because it's a protocol explain the protocol that's going on here in the country 
can can someone explain that? Well, I, I, I could say one thing from Medicare Medicaid services. Yes. They're getting a 20% kickback if yeah. they use remdesivir on their patients. So I think there's a financial incentive. Yeah. Um, also, I, you know, I think there's other plans that are going on behind the scenes. You know, I, at some point here, I'll talk a little bit more in the connection okay. with Fauci and China. But okay. um, one of the things I want to address with... Um, with Carla is that she did try to ask them to take him off the remdesivir, but they refused to. And maybe because she wasn't his legal wife, maybe she didn't have as much standing on that. But I think anybody who's the caregiver um, should be pushing really hard for, for what they want and what they know they don't want. Yeah, and okay. a power of attorney or even just a, a legal health advocate. So that if you're in a situation where you can't speak for yourself, that person has the authority to speak for you. Okay, this is Chrissy, um, and Chrissy, your background is again. As oh, a nurse. I, I'm a nurse. I'm an I'm an RN. I've been an RN okay. for almost 20 years now. Yeah, and I know Chrissy's been patiently waiting, listening to these stories. So we'll have her back on again after we hear from our last caller or our last um, person, and that is Danette. Correct? Yes. Yes, Danette, can you fill us in? on what happened with you yes um so my family had also at the end of july we had gotten covid and we were on a trip and we got back into town and i was very ill so i was not checking on my folks or anything like that because i was so out of it myself um and come to find out both my parents had gotten covid locally and um my dad was caring for my mom and not realizing he didn't have it quite as bad, but I'll tell you this straight up. He was taking 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C. He was drinking wheatgrass shots. He was taking all the other vitamins. He was up and around and moving and that kept him from getting bedridden and it kept him from oh. it turning into pneumonia. Oh. So um, he was her, yeah, he was her caregiver and he didn't realize how bad off she was. And by the time I felt well enough to check on her, she had had COVID for approximately seven days and she was dehydrated. She hadn't had anything to eat um, in those seven days. And she was running high fever and she had low oxygen. Mm. And my siblings were in a panic and felt like we needed to get her into the hospital. And at the time I was not, not quite in my right mind yet either, mm -hmm. but I, I wasn't prepared and I wasn't educated on what to avoid and what to do at that point. I did not have the ivermectin. I did not have things at my fingertips and I didn't know what to do. And yeah. so we sent her to Clovis community hospital. Um, she checked in on August 13th and I thought they're going to give her oxygen. They're going to give her an IV. And those are the two things that in, in my, you know, mommy's mm -hmm. mind of taking care of sick people, this is what you need this is what she needs right now. Right. Um, she was able to talk to us. I mean, she was totally coherent and everything before she went into the hospital within three days. Um, during those first three days, I didn't have a lot of communication with her or with the hospital and I knew she needed rest and I thought I'll let her rest. And so my siblings had been calling in and after the third day on the 16th of August, it was her birthday. And my sister called in and was talk, having a, a FaceTime talk with her. And she said, 
my mother told my sister, um, they don't think I'm going to make it. They don't think I'm going to make it through this. Now, after three days, why would she have that, you know, thought in her mind that they don't think I'm going to make it after three days. So I started asking questions. Then I started getting on the phone and trying to find out what is going on. Who is saying that? Why is she feeling that way? Um, come to find out the palliative care doctors were zoom calling her room every day one doctor in particular and pressuring her and kind of bullying her into just taking morphine and dying because covid has no cure and you're probably not going to make it out of this now all of that i believe because she had in her paperwork something called a dni which means do not intubate So they knew straight up, they did not have the power or authority to put her on a ventilator. They were not going to, they were not pulling people Ah. off the ventilator successfully. So once I learned that that had happened, we started trying to communicate with the nurses and the doctors on a daily basis. I probably drove the nurses crazy. I would call five or six times a day. It was very hard to get a hold of a nurse, very hard to get any information. Still, at this point, I really didn't know what medication she was taking or why or what the diagnosis of her condition was. So finally, after about three or four days, they tell me, oh, she has double COVID pneumonia. And Mm. um, my father has power of attorney. So he's the one that should be making any decisions on if she's to do anything, taking morphine or whatever. She's low on oxygen, so she's not in her right mind to even make those decisions. At one point, um, a nurse calls my sister and said, palliative care was in the room offering your mother morphine. And I said to your mother, the nurse, you don't want to die. You want to live. You have a family at home. So they not only were pressuring over Zoom call, they were in the room offering her morphine. If that was happening to my mom, Mm -hmm. how many other people is that happening to? Right. They're, they're being, you know, power of suggestion is, is pretty heavy when you're low on oxygen and you don't feel good. You're tired and you're sick and you don't have a family advocate there to speak for you. So after this, we began to do as much research as we possibly could. Um, I began to ask a whole lot of questions and then we filed a case and we, knew that our rights, what our rights were, and we demanded that she have an advocate in the room with her. So after a day where they, um, the doctor finally called us one day and said, we don't think your mom's doing well, please come. The whole family can come two at a time because it was our indication that they were saying she's gonna die tonight, possibly. They said she hasn't eaten or had anything to drink all day and she's just not doing well at all. So we go that night thinking this might be it. And we get in there thinking she couldn't eat. She couldn't drink. Come to find out. My mom says she's on a breathing machine, but she's telling us through that. I was begging (laughs) for food and water all day. I was begging for food and water and they wouldn't give me anything. They refused it. I mean, she couldn't stop saying it. She was very upset about it. She said to us, she said, they're trying to kill me. And she was terrified. She did not want us to leave that room. So we began to advocate to get into that hospital in every which way that we could. And that was on a Friday night. There was nothing really that we could do as far as the administration until 
Monday morning, everything wow. kind of shut down for the weekend. Well, over those 36 hours of the weekend or whatever it was, 48 hours, she had a very hard time. And we think she declined a lot. Come Monday yeah. morning, we filed that claim and we said, we want our demands met. We want a person in the room with her, an advocate in the room with her at all times immediately. And they said, you can do it. So there are ways to get around wow. the hospital protocol of not having any visitors. Yeah. We, we have rights and we need to remember that we have rights. That's right. We need to remember that our family members need us. My mom was like a little infant child. She needed oh. help. She needed a voice. Right. Right. Did so she we, leave? Did she survive this COVID? My mom was in there for 33 days. And at the wow. end of this, because of the remdesivir that they had her on for the first yeah. 10 days, she had a slow poisoning and she, she ended up dying, not of COVID, but of kidney failure from the complications that the remdesivir caused in her body. Of course, they're going to label it a COVID death. Right. And just like um, Chrissy said earlier, they do get a kickback for using the remdesivir. They get a kickback for being able to put them on a ventilator. Yep. They get a kickback for coding it as a COVID death. <sighs> There's, yep. um, I had a doctor tell me straight up, I asked for ivermectin and she said, she took it to the administration after I requested it twice. And she said, the administration has been threatened in the last <laughs> two days from the FDA. We <clears throat> cannot prescribe ivermectin. Wow. Why wow. is the FDA calling the shots? Um, right. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And they're threatening well, the hospital. I want to say something about all three of you. Um, this is the kind of journalism that needs to be taking place uh, in our local papers and our national papers. And I'm just very proud that all three of you have talked about this because this is going to be something that will help other people. And people need to hear this. And I don't want you guys to stop. I want yeah, you guys yeah. to keep going. We're not. <laughs> Lily, I really, I, I want to, I want to bring something to your attention. I want to number one, thank you for giving us a voice, but number two, where do we go? What do we do? I'm surprised this isn't on every single major news outlet in America. That's right. People, well, it is you, genocide. What is happening yes. in the hospitals and no one is talking right. about it. I I have a lot of suggestions for you. And that's kind of one of the things that we're doing now uh, with grassroots, uh, yeah. our grassroots group that we've organized. And we can talk to you guys a little bit about that. But my first suggestion is start with the churches and move around <laughs> and ask if you can speak to the churches. See, see if they'll yeah. listen to your story. Just listen to your story. Don't they have testimonies? I mean, may, you may start there. Yeah. You, you know, there's a lot of people that want to hear these stories because they don't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, I want to know from all three of you guys, were you guys not allowed to be in the hospital? Would, did they not allow you in there with COVID for COVID no. protocol? You're not allowed to have any family members in right. the hospital at all. Yeah. Right. See, this is what, what I like at the end here is that uh, Danette went all the way yes. with this. And I think that's what needs to happen. And I yeah. think people need to start doing that. Yeah. Because one of the things that I think 
you, Chrissy, maybe we can bring you in now and talk to us a little bit about some of these in stories, but I could be wrong about this, but there's a lot of doctors that aren't speaking out and the ones that do they they get shut down. Right. Why don't you address some of these, these things and maybe start with this, you know, protocol and also what happened to all three okay. of these patients? This is horrible. Um, uh, well, I, I do have a question uh, for each of you. And, and I, again, you know, I, I don't want to be insensitive to your stories because this is tragic, you know, tragic for everyone. And, and, I, and I'm so deeply sorry uh, for your loss. But my question is, what about autopsies? Has, are they allowing the bodies to be autopsied? I'm so glad you brought that up because no, they're not. You're not allowed to do any autopsies wow. on anybody who, who died of COVID-19. Oh my gosh. Okay. Jeez. Well, thank you for answering that. That explains a lot. This is why we need attorneys. This is why we have to push forward. Um, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do that. We're not. Yeah. Not yeah. And also, can I add one more thing also sure. on the, the, death certificates they're not putting renal failure it's no. covid and uh there's a couple uh, i can't remember offhand but nothing has really? to do with renal failure at all when that was the cause of death mm -hmm. wow so i want i mean just speaking for the families that have you know um you know people in the hospital you know, number one, it, it's so sad and, and I get it. People don't know what to do. And, and you were doing you were doing your research in real time, you know, and and bless you for doing that, because the more that we, you know, get this word out to just our local community, these are hospitals. And that's where I'm going to be targeting. We we I would like to see us target the hospitals. I've already put Kaiser on blast. Um, but I, I, I'm talking about the people that have family members in the hospital right now you know, don't say, oh, well, they won't let me see them. I know um, just for personal experience, the, the daughter of the father that passed away just a few days ago, same thing, you know, renal failure, the whole mm -hmm. nine yards, the whole killer protocol. And in order for her to visit, she had to get vaccinated and she took the vaccine to get, oh, to, you know, it, this is, is, it goes so beyond you know, violating our rights. This is total murder. I, I, that's how yes. I get it. And then these oh, people are dying alone. They don't have to yeah. die alone. They're dying right, alone you know? and they're dying in fear. Well, and they don't yes. have to die at all. Yeah. Right. They don't have to die at all. Chrissy, no, what do you say to all this, Chrissy? Talk to us. Go um, ahead. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that, you know, it's 85% of death and hospitalization, um, well, it's, gosh, I can't even talk, I'm sorry. Early intervention basically reduces death and hospitalization by 85%. So early intervention with what? With the medications that are tried and true, already approved, have been safe and effective for decades, being the hydroxychloroquine, the ivermectin, budesonide, um, but those are all being denied. And we saw that attack in the beginning of 2020 when the F, um, AFLDS doctors came out and started talking about how hydroxychloroquine was working in, in healing their patients, you know, from children to 90 plus years of age with multiple comorbidities, but we were not allowed to have it. Right. Mm. And it was, it took me a while to hear about the ivermectin, but then we realized, okay, that was safe and effective as well. Um, you know, just from my story, I'll let you know, I've, I worked in the hospital for the first 10 years and I've been with home health 
for the, the last 10 years. And so the patients that I'm seeing are the ones that are coming out. And when remdesivir, um, when they started giving remdesivir, I would at least ask the patients, I'm like, okay, or did they give you hydroxychloroquine? Of course, no. <laughs> did they give you ivermectin? Of course, no. Did right. they give you remdesivir? Oh, okay, well, good. At least you got that. Well, I had no clue at that time what was happening until I ran into um, Dr. Brian Artis in his interviews. And he's been very, very vocal about the problems with remdesivir and what it's doing to patients and how it was not safe and effective and how Anthony Fauci knew that it was not safe and effective, but yet he still chose it for um, the drug of choice to treat Americans. So I want to touch on that a little bit. And then yes. if I have time, we can go on still further with the medications, the resources, how to get the meds and how you can treat yourself even with over the counters. But um, like I said, Dr. Brian Artis has just been awesome as far as just really sounding the siren on what's been happening. And so in the beginning, basically the FDA um, referred their protocols to COVID treatment to the NIH. So when you go to the NIH, who is directed by, I won't call him doctor, but Anthony Fauci, um, you go there and he cited two studies that supposedly supported the fact that remdesivir would be safe and effective to treat Americans with. And I think Heidi mentioned the first one. The very first one was actually funded by the NIH. It was in Africa. It was the Ebola study where there were four drugs that were used to treat Ebola. And in that trial, it was the very first one to be pulled six months later after it killed over 50%, somewhere between 53 and 54% wow. of the people. So that's mm. the first one, a first drug out of four to be pulled and yet, and Anthony Fauci knew because his NIH funded that study. Mm. So then the second study that he, um, that he ended up citing as to be, I guess, advocate that remdesivir was safe and effective for us with treating COVID. This one was a cohort study that was run by Gilead, who owns the patent on on remdesivir. And we'll have to get to that as well, because there are connections <laughs> with remdesivir. The patent for remdesivir is through Gilead, but it's China. Wow. China and Soros. Where did the Wuhan virus come from? Yeah. China. Fauci and China, right? Yep. Fauci mm -hmm. and China. Gain of function, move to China. Yep. So in the second one, study done by, the, by Gilead, which owns remdesivir, patent owned by China, they did it on 53 patients, I believe, out of Canada, America, and Japan. 23% of those patients experienced acute kidney failure, pulmonary edema, liver failure, multiple organ failure, septic shock, hypotension. In addition to that, another 8% of those 53 people had, between days of uh, 5 and 10 had to be taken off the remdesivir due to the kidney failure and liver failure so severe that some of them actually needed kidney transplants. So you add that together, that's 31%. So we've got one study telling us that's not safe for 31% of its people. And the first study saying it's not safe for over 50% of its patients. Right. How does Anthony Fauci refer to these two studies and say then, well, remdesivir is our drug of choice. It's been yep. proven safe and effective. And so now we're going to use it for the treatment of COVID. Now, not only did he choose remdesivir, you know what else he did? He purchased all the stocks and reserves of remdesivir specifically Ooh. only for the American people to be used to the end of 2020. Guess who had the most, most deaths throughout the world? US. What country? I don't we know. did. We did. Wow. The U.S. did. Yeah. So we here, our population is about four and a half percent of the world's population. I want to say that number was 2.2 deaths worldwide. We had 550,000 deaths in America. We had the most. 
We had 25% of the deaths worldwide here in America. Are we the, the ones that are using remdesivir or is this there other was, countries? No, at that time, it was just America. Now, since then, there's been other studies in other countries, but like in France, they, they tried remdesivir on five patients and I think they lost two of them and they dropped it right away. Right. So other countries are are wising up once they started using it, seeing how it was affecting their their population. They've removed it and they started right. treating with ivermectin, like India, treating um, you know no remdesivir, using the ivermectin, and they're virtually COVID free. So anyway, my point I want to make here is that Anthony Fauci knowingly chose remdesivir for the drug of choice for the American people, and we lost a quarter of the world's. Uh, well, we had the quarter of the deaths worldwide by the end of 2020. So, wow. Also, and and he's making money on this from Demosphere. Is what Gilead is what you're saying? He's making money. There's a profit. Oh, oh I'm sure. I'm sure there's some. I'm sure there's a money tied about you. Know, they always somewhere. say follow the money. But my my thing is that let's look at the beginning. We started with the COVID virus out of gain of function studies done, funded by Anthony Fauci, and then when it was shut down in the United States. They moved that to Wuhan. So we've got Fauci in China, and I'm sure there's other people behind it as well. But now we're coming down to remdesivir and we're realizing how deadly it is for you know our patients. It's really not treating. It's very, it's not very effective. And thank God, by God's grace, some people are surviving it, but a lot of people are not. Yeah. And then you will when you look at the patents, who owns the patents for that? China and Soros. Mm. So so why are they choosing this drug to treat Americans yeah. when we know what happened with the virus? And the, and the practitioners, the physicians, the clinicians in the hospital that are- They're are. following protocol. They're right. following protocol. Following. And I'm gonna say, Go I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, you know, you might have some that are a little bit more in the know, but I'm gonna say those numbers are very few. And those who are, and I mean, in, in the, you know, evil part of it, in the know, but I would say for the majority of, of the healthcare professionals, their lives are so busy that they're probably not even doing as much research, which I really wish that they would. And when you have something new like COVID come on the scene, that was my first inclination, you know, other first really to pray, but then it's like, okay, we got to figure out what this is. And I was honestly in that frozen state, couldn't keep my eight-year-old's fingers out of his mouth, bleaching all the surfaces, wear your mask, wear your mask. And I was just praying, Lord, you have to show us what's going on. You have to help me protect my family, help me to protect my patients. And we learned as we went, right? America's frontline right. doctors came out. We found there's medications that work. Well, now we've got a problem with that because they can't prescribe them or they're being threatened. Then we had the um, doctors online form several groups, America's frontline doctors. There's another one, um, FLCCC, another one, um, AAPSonline.org, which is Dr. Peter McCullough's group. American physicians yes. and surgeons online. And so they kind of banded together as far as the getting the medications, you know, putting the protocols together out there for people to see, getting the medications to the patients. And there are ways to reach them online so that you can get the hydroxychloroquine, the ivermectin, the budesonide, and have them in your home before you get sick, which is what I've been advocating for months for people to do, but I even procrastinated myself. So what we ended up happening, and I was caught off guard, was right about the time that um, they started handing out, you know, the mandates for the vaccine. Then in the summer, into July, August, all of a sudden we see this boom of cases with COVID. And now it's not just, you know, people that I don't really know getting COVID. I mean, it just seemed like there was 
our friends were getting COVID. I was getting calls from other people. Hey, can you talk to this person? Their mom has COVID or their sister has COVID or their whole family has COVID. And I kind of started getting a little nervous again, like I was in the beginning, because now what I realized is that the online doctors were becoming so overwhelmed that we, they weren't getting the medications um, to the patients fast enough. So this is where, you know, I would say there's still a secondary way that you can get the medications without a prescription. There's an, uh, at least one online pharmacy that's been recommended by Dr. Um, Northrup and by Dr. Artis as being, you know, legit, safe, and you don't need a prescription. If you follow the protocols, you have somebody maybe um, who's in your family who works in the medical field that if you need a little help with them, um, might be able to help you with that. But you can go to alldaychemist.com, alldaychemist.com. And those medications are shipped out of India, but they also have representatives in the state and they're very kind, very supportive. Um, I would just say, you know, one way or another, we need to get the medications that work in the home and we need to refuse these medications that they want to give us that are not safe. Right. You know, right. And, and I wanted um, to make just a, a quick note to Carla, you know, we were talking about the bruising on her fiance. Well, if it's causing liver damage too, so we're going to see that bruising. I wasn't thinking about that before when Carla and I were, were talking, but this is causing multiple organ failure. And why, you know, honestly, I think as far as what's going on in the hospitals, I think there are some that are waking up that this isn't working or this might be actually detrimental to our patients. But what we really need to do is be praying for them. We need to pray that those who see that this is a political battle yeah, uh, yeah. And, and also that this is actually harmful, that they start standing up and being vocal. Because if there's enough people in the hospitals who see this and are willing to band together and say, yeah. we're not going to follow this protocol anymore. I refuse to give this medication to my patient. Yep. Then you've got, you've got that blockade. You've got something that they're going to have to deal with. The more people who are silent, yeah. uh, the more people aren't going to die. Right. No, I think you're absolutely right. We do need to get in the ears of these healthcare professionals and hopefully, you know, with Dr. McCulloch coming, you know, definitely want to target some of those workers um, to help spread this this information and, and knowledge. So I, I, I can't thank you guys enough. I definitely will put up any links that you have to offer for people, um, any resources that you have, like you've been given. I will put it on the, um, the podcast um, and maybe even our website. I think um, Frontline, America's Frontline Doctors are on the website, but if there's anything else we can add to that, you know, we, we, we would be happy to do that. And of course, we're gonna continue to work together, you guys, we're, we're with you. Um, I know I am, and I'm sure that Lily is, uh, I think she's muted now, but I just wanna say thank you guys. Thank you all for coming on here. And, and I'd like to do a follow-up. Maybe we could do this again in the next couple weeks or so. Yes, yeah. and Faith, thank you for having us. Thank you for, for yes. giving us a voice and, and getting our message out there because it's gonna yeah. save thousands of lives. Yeah, you know what? It, it's all about coming together, right? I mean, I think we're learning that as we're, we're dealing with all this stuff all at once, but it is coming together and uniting and 
just keep moving forward and spreading truth. That's, that's what we're here yeah. to do. So thank you so much, you guys. Um, Chrissy, if you could send me your links, I think I sent you an email. You can go ahead and send those and I'll add them to what we're doing. We'll probably air this this Friday. So when we do, we'll be sure to make sure you get the, uh, the link. I just want to yeah, add one thing. Can I just add one thing? One yes, thing real quick? you may, Lily. Okay, sorry. Uh, listen here, guys. I wanted to say one thing. The thing that is impressive to me is the three, the three of you banding together. And you just got to do that. But what I want to say is, remember Galileo. They all went after him and it took him a long time. And he was right. The world was not flat. So this is what it may have to take with all these doctors and hospitals and science, you know, people have to keep saying things and, and going on, you know, shows like this and yeah. speaking. So yeah. you're brave and it's important that you do that. Okay. We want to share this everywhere. So, you know, we're grassroots, so we have to do it within each other. So when you guys get the link, share it everywhere. We got to get the word out and we're just going to keep pushing forward. And thank you so much again, Chrissy, because I know you do a lot with the, um, the medical freedom rallies. And I, I unfortunately haven't been able to attend as many as I'd like to, but I, I do thank you. Yeah. There's a rally every Sunday with the medical freedom rallies at Shaw and uh, Sean Clovis Avenue, Sean yeah. Clovis Avenue. If people want to come out and join them, they do a great job. Yeah, we've, we've been out there every Sunday um, from three every to five. Sunday. Every right. Sunday. I'm corrected. Thank okay. you. Yes. All right, ladies. Thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and end this and we will be in touch and hopefully we get to do this again. Okay. Thank you, you so take much. Care. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Recall Radio Podcast with your hosts, Holly and Lily. To find out more on today's show, visit us at recallradiopodcast.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube and Rumble. This show wouldn't be possible without the help of grassroots recall volunteers who are on the ground every day. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay in touch.